I'm Jessica Livingston, and Carolyn Levy and I are the Social Radars. In this podcast, we talk to some of the most successful founders in Silicon Valley about how they did it. Carolyn and I have been working together to help thousands of startups at Y Combinator for almost 20 years. Come be a fly on the wall as we talk to founders and learn their true stories. Today, we're talking with Tracy Young, one of the most successful female founders so far. Y Combinator funded her startup, PlanGrid, in the winter of 2012. PlanGrid revolutionized the construction industry by getting blueprints off paper and onto tablets. You'll hear about how they got started, how they lost a co-founder to cancer in the first few weeks of Y Combinator, how they sold the company for almost a billion dollars in 2018, and how she's now gone on to start a new startup called TigerEye with her husband and PlanGrid co-founder, Ralph Goody. Enjoy. So we are here today with Tracy Young, who was a co-founder of PlanGrid and is now a co-founder of a new company she started called TigerEye. Tracy, great to see you. It's so good to see both of you. Good to see you too. <laughs> Thank you for coming today. So I always have to double check when the year was that Y Combinator funded someone because it's now getting to be a long time. It was in 2012. We funded PlanGrid. And that was, as I used to describe it, blueprints for the cloud, construction blueprints for the cloud. But before that, though, I want to hear how you started PlanGrid. I know you were a construction engineer trained in that and you had a job in construction, right? So, you know, just like any 17-year-old, you don't really know what you want to do with your life. But here I am enrolled in university and I was pretty good at math. I liked buildings, but I knew I couldn't be an architect. At least I didn't believe that my artistic and creative skills was good enough to have a career there. And so I studied civil engineering. And at some point around sophomore year, there's really two career paths, at least at the university that I was at, that I could choose from. One, I could sit behind a desk and crunch numbers all day and make the math work, which it should work. Or I could be on a job site helping out with construction and managing construction projects. And that just sounded way more fun than sitting behind a desk for the rest of my life. Yeah, I tend to agree with that. Although I bet that there were some crazy things that happened on the construction sites. I mean, I don't know that much about construction, uh, but I have lived through a a home renovation and uh, (laughs) I I can imagine a lot went wrong. I mean, I remember you saying when you, it was early on when I met you and maybe it was during the interview. I remember you were saying like the, one of the problems you were trying to solve with PlanGrid was just taking these blueprints that were so enormous and so expensive to print. I think, didn't you say they were like $20,000 to just make a change? You have to run off $20,000 worth of new blueprints for the teams? It's really expensive to print on 36 inch by 40 inch, 48 inch paper. Oh my gosh. You would carry them around in a shopping cart. Is that right? Do I have that story right? Yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't a shopping cart. It's one of these like okay. rubber made tables that have a bottom compartment and it's on wheels. Yeah, I'm, I'm solid muscle and I couldn't carry my blueprints. And my foreman bought me one of these carts oh. 
to lay my blueprints on. And there was like a little cup holder for my pencils and rulers. And <laughs> I would wheel around, you know, this shopping cart uh, around the job site. Like I didn't stick out like a sore thumb. <laughs> <laughs> You'd make a change to the design and have to spend all this money and hand out, you know, wheel around your new new versions of the the blueprints to everyone. I mean, is that what inspired you? What, what was it that in, inspired you guys to start your own company to sort of fix things? I mean, clearly it sounds like something was broken. So 2010, 2011, anyone in construction knew that we were constantly building off of outdated drawings. And it's because version control is hard and it's especially hard when the paper is physically big, bigger and there's just a lot of sheets of them, thousands at a time for a hospital project that I was on. And then there's also 500 other people on the job site. You can email their project managers, but how does the project manager ensure that they get it out to the foremans and the carpenters and the plumbers out on time when they're building every single day? So the version control problem was very obvious. Everyone was experiencing it. My co-founder Ryan and I were working in construction. He stands in line for hours and hours and gets the first generation iPad. And we're looking at it um, over beers and we're like, this is perfect for construction. We can't take a computer out into the field, but this is lightweight. We can totally use this for our job. So the first thing we did was try to load our own construction documents onto it. And then this box comes up and it says out of memory. And oh. Ryan oh, no. I remember was dancing all over the room. He was so excited. And he said, we should build this. And I remember looking at him, it's like, yeah, it's a good idea, but clearly we're not software developers, we're construction engineers. And so over the next year, we would convince our incredibly talented software engineer friends to join our project. Okay. How did you convince them? Because you guys had all these pain points and had this domain expertise. How did you convince them to, to join you? Oh, man. So I think oh. everyone knew it was a good enough idea because they couldn't believe how stupid we were running our construction projects and i think uh, probably where they were leaning towards for all of us was just like this fun project we could work together on and we get to see each other on a weekly basis and just catch up and and do this fun thing on the side so you convince your programmer friends to join you and you quit your no i think i read you did you get laid off from your job no, 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 I didn't. I was hired as engineer number 1000 okay. in 2008. And then the construction industry would see the highest unemployment rates in the next few years because of the housing crisis and the economic crisis. And over the next few years, I would, you know, at my company, this general contracting company that I was working for would have only 300 employees left. Oh, wow. And I was still there. Uh, you know, I think for a, a bit, I convinced myself that I, I must have these amazing engineering skills because I'm still here and I've survived five rounds of layoffs. But in hindsight, I must have been one of the lowest paid engineers. I was just going to say you were the cheapest. You were kept because you were the cheapest. Which company was it? Rudolph and Slatton Construction. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So you quit. To did you quit to start the company or did you work it on it as a side project at first? Let me think about this. We quit our jobs to work on Plan Grid. We decided okay. it was the industry was pretty depressing at the time. Mm -hmm. All of us were engineers. We were all incredibly frugal. And we told ourselves we'd give ourselves 18 months. That's how much personal runway we had. Oh, okay. We work on it until the 18 months go by and we'll see what happens after that. Um, lucky for us, 
we got funded by Y Combinator. We got good advice. We launched our product into the world. People were paying for it. And so we just kept doing it for another eight years. Wow. So you apply to YC. Had, had you launched? I think you had launched at that point. Or had you not? We were in beta. We had our friends using it. Okay. So you made it fit on the iPad, basically. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We made it work. Okay. And I remember your guys' interview. And I remember thinking, oh, I love when people come like fixing a problem that they're domain experts on. And you had the, you know, engineering experts, construction experts, and the programmers. And it was such an unsexy idea. But we were like, this team is great. And the idea is great. And they can charge people right away. Let's fund them. We had a uh, dramatic pitch too. We walked into the room. We knew we only had 10 minutes. I was mm-hmm. carrying all the blueprints and I'm the smallest <laughs> of the team. And then I just yep. threw it on the table in front of you guys. And one of my founders <laughs> iPad and it's like, we're going to replace this with this. Oh, that's excellent. I do remember it was kind of dramatic and it's like, it was very clear, like, gosh, blueprints do seem so outdated mm-hmm. and that definitely helped. Did RTM like it too? Cause that's the real test. Do you remember Jessica? I don't remember because he doesn't usually say that much. I think he was right. probably like, sounds good, you know? So we funded you. Let's talk about Antoine, you know, because that's sort of a major part of of your history and a, and a sad part. And one that that's when I remember meeting your co-founder, Antoine, who came to the interview. Did he come to the first dinner? Mm-hmm. And then he passed away soon after. and. For you guys, that must have been, as, as a good friend of yours, it must have been devastating. But you were also in the middle of like this intense company building period where you had to focus, you had to keep going. Were you sort of inspired to keep going to, you know, make this a success? Our co-founder Antoine, her son, was diagnosed with a rare form of cancer at 27, and he was battling it for a long time. And I I guess as I'm talking about this now, it was one of the reasons why it was really easy for all of us to quit our jobs. We wanted to be together with him, work on this fun project. We moved into a hacker house in Sunnyvale. We lived out of there, worked out of there together um, for his last days. And he was programming until his last days. I'm, I'm sure there is still Antoine code in somewhere in plan grid at Autodesk right now. And it was crazy. I mean, we were going through Y Combinator really excited. Our best friend was dying. There's hospice care coming to our house. Wow. And that was the start of Langren. And oh my gosh, I remember my face was just really rough for like an entire year because we were just crying so much. We would do demos. We would talk about product. We'd talk about bugs. And then we would then, we would then just like go to a corner and cry. And we did this for months and months because we missed him so much. Was he like a college friend? How long? How long had you known him? Yeah, yeah. Let's see. Uh, three of us went to college together. Okay. Two of us were dating, now married, and two of us had worked together. That's how we knew each other. So you guys were all really tight. Yeah, really, really tight. So that was a very sad, but probably really. And it's like it's not unique to us. The number of founders that just have gone through YC who have either been diagnosed with cancer or their co-founder has, has cancer or their, you know, 
loved one has cancer and the number of people that have reached out to me over the years knowing this story. It just happened all the time. Wow. I don't think I realized that. I mean, I obviously knew about your story. It must have inspired you guys after he passed away to say, we are going to make the success. Gosh. I mean, at least in the early days, I think many of us were very much motivated by we're going to keep going for him. Now, you guys, so you go through YC. It's just a three-month intense period. This horrible thing happens. We have demo day at the end. I hope Paul will give me like retroactive permission to say this, but I was looking just at the, the plan grid sort of internal notes that we had from way back when, and Paul <laughs> had a comment that said, so it said, VCs didn't like them. Not sure why. So it sounds like maybe after Demo Day, did you struggle a little bit with, with venture capitalists? Because you guys were making money pretty early on, I think. Yeah. I didn't actually go fundraise. Um, I was in charge of sales. And Ryan, my co-founder, went to fundraise. And we basically told him, like, spend the next month fundraising. It's okay if we don't get investment. We're going to keep going. We can build this mm-hmm. with just us. And he would come home and he would do his best to keep a brave face on and get back to work. But we're just like, don't tell us about anything. I don't want to get emotional over, you know, we're still mourning at this time. We're really trying to get the product out. And so Ryan would come back and it didn't matter what a shitty day he had. He came back and he just went back to work. But luckily we, we were able to convince enough people, you know, you get everyone yeah. to $10,000. You get to, eventually you can get to 1.5 million of a seed round. And that's what he did. Which was a respectable seed round back in 2012. I mean, let's face it. So you really told Ryan, like, go do your thing. Do not keep us updated. <laughs> we knew that people wouldn't understand what we were doing. I, I think after Demo Day, at least back then, there would be this like mingling with the investors. And so we were already mm-hmm. hearing feedback. It's like, okay, that's, this seems cool, but construction people aren't going to be able to use an iPad. And then you try to explain to them, it's like these people work in dangerous conditions day in and day out, and they figure out how to go home to their family safely every day. They're going to be uh, able to freaking use an iPad. But you yeah. know, you see their faces and you see their response and their body language. It's like, oh, this isn't resonating. They don't get it. Well, that's too wow. bad for them because we're going to keep building this. Right. Which is the best attitude to have, frankly. Was that kind of the biggest pushback? Like, uh, construction people won't adopt this, that you won't get them to make the changes. It's even stupider than it was like, they're going to break the iPad. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Oh, wow. That's a good one. That's pretty lame. Oh my gosh. Okay. So you raised the seed round and I, I think like, correct me if I'm wrong, but you were profitable from an early point because you were charging customers. For this. And did they, when you'd meet with a customer is, you know, heading up sales at that time, could you tell that people were like, thank you for making this for me. You are about to revolutionize my job. Yeah. I mean, anyone who saw Plan Grid in 2012, 2013 loved it just in its most basic, simplistic form. It's like, you have no idea what is up to date right now in the field. And we're about to help you solve that. And by the way, it's only going to take us a day. Just give us all of your documents and we'll version control them for you and it'll just show up on your device. And so it was a no-brainer, especially for the cost. We, of course, didn't 
have right pricing and packaging for a long time. I was just going to say, how long did it take you to get the pricing right? I was just going to ask that. I mean, for, for you know, a, whatever these hospitals were that we were selling to at the time, these commercial projects, let's say $100 million projects, I mean, PlanGrid at the time was only 200 bucks a year. And so eventually, and the price would slowly go up over the next 10 years, it also got more powerful. I'm going to fast forward for a second to 2018. So you're working on this diligently for mm-hmm. six or seven years or whatever, and yep. you sell for $875 million. I have to say... I remember feeling like you did not get enough publicity for that acquisition. I truly think that. I mean, it was such, I remember within YC, it was a huge acquisition. We didn't need the publicity. We didn't, you know, we were at that point, we're going through integration hell. And so we had other things on our mind. (laughs) (laughs) I read a couple things in this article in Forbes, I guess, that came out recently. And one of them was that you stayed at Autodesk. You then both left and we're going to take your parents traveling and your family. You had a few kids at that point and COVID hits. Oh my gosh. We retired from Autodesk March, 2020. Can you believe that? I can't believe that. We were going to go on a cruise. We're going to go on a transatlantic (gasps) cruise for like a month. Where to where? I'm sure it was going to land in like UK somewhere. And um, luckily we, that was canceled and because you remember at the time people were like stuck on cruise ships dying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. In, in Oakland, like the diamond yeah. princess. I remember it well. And so we didn't actually do that. Instead, we just bunkered down and had a ton of time. You, know, you wake up one day going at a certain speed for 10 years and then you wake up and it's like, wow, we've just stopped doing the thing we've been doing. That's been all consuming in our life. And what that gave us was just a lot of time to reflect. It also kept us from refreshing on, you know, COVID news and how many cases were in the Bay Area. Yeah. So to keep ourselves sane, we did another, I guess, crazy thing, which was dissect every minute of the startup we had just built. Well, that's what I read, that you guys like dissected all the minutiae of Mm -hmm. what you'd done with PlanGrid. And what I'm curious to know is what were the things you wanted to keep in a new company and what were some of the things you definitely wanted to change? Those conversations would become the foundation of our core values and another document that we have called our commitments to each other. I can actually read them to you because I'm a huge fan of them, obviously. But the number one thing about startups and any company that's building together is the team. I think for a long time, I thought, especially as our team grew to nearly 500 people, um, you just get all kinds of flavors of people, you know, experiences, high egos. And I thought it was my job to tolerate oversized egos. But the message that sends the team is that as long as you're performing for Tracy, you can get away with murder. You can get away with being an asshole. And so, you know, we only had a handful of these folks, but boy, were they damaging to our culture. Yeah. And this time around, our core values and our commitments to each other are written in a way that is so crystal clear. We will hire and fire by these values that we've set. Have you had to fire someone whose ego was too big for your new company? Not yet. And the company's new. Okay. <laughs> and I've <Yeah>. hand them. <laughs> Specifically for talent, hard work, and humility. Not yet. But I'm sure the day will come. Do you think you're a better recruiter, hire 
because you've taken the time to like set all this out and write it all down? Because hiring is really, really hard. Mm -hmm. I mean, I mean, firing is obviously very hard too, but like, do you, do you know what you're looking for now when you're just meeting someone? Yeah. Like, do you think you can spot it? Yeah, 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 for sure. I mean, I remember when I did my CFO search in 2015 and I probably met 20 CFO candidates. And the first thing I did was look at them. It's like, what do you do all day? (laughs) Because my board (laughs) says I need a CFO. We've been doing finances for the last four years. I think I'm doing a good job. And we just had no idea what we actually needed to do as a company in terms of compliance for this role, as an example. I think, you know, if I were to look back, um, when we first started PlanGrid, I was probably 26 years old. And, you know, we were, I was a construction engineer. None of us were managers. Like, no one great and fantastic wanted to work for us. I think this time around, we definitely get to see better resumes. There's also, you know, so many people that have come and gone at PlanGrid that we can recruit from as well. So it's just easier because we just have more experience now. What else are you being more deliberate about? So PlanGrid was obviously built mobile first. We were one of the first enterprise solutions to launch on the App Store. We were one of the first enterprise solutions to launch on Google Play and the Windows Store. And we would go through platform parity hell because of the timing of the releases. Android and Windows was always so far behind iOS and web just because we were constantly catching up. So when we built new features, we'd go to our users and say, it's on iOS. It's going to come out on web in the next few weeks. And then if, if you're on an Android device or on a Windows device, just, you know, wait, wait two years. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh, wow. <laughs> it, the it, Windows it, users, maybe that's sending them a message. <laughs> I mean, there's just this combinatorial explosion of problems with building across platforms that way. I mean, you think about every help article. Now we have to have four versions of every help article for each platform. So this time around, we're, we're also trying to make better technology and infrastructure decisions. Angered is based, built on one cross-platform code base. We hit publish. It goes to all the platforms. It's one help article. It's one, you know, one team building out everything instead of four. Which brings our R&D costs way down. How does the pacing or the timing differ from, you know, PlanGrid to TigerEye? Did you feel like you were under pressure in PlanGrid to like iterate quickly and push things out? And like, there was just more pressure. It was your first time. So with TigerEye, you're just, are you more deliberate? It's like, eh, we'll get it when we get it because we want it to be perfect. We are improving the product every single week. I think the biggest difference is you said the word deliberate. We are more deliberate, more strategic on making better foundational decisions so that we're not stuck in this tech debt for the rest of our lives. At PlanGrid, we knew what products and features would help us gain market share you know, in, in the competitive landscape. We knew how the product should look like to be the winner. But many times we didn't build out those features because we were prioritizing $10,000 of ARR because a customer is like, if you just build this other thing just for me, I'll buy X amount of more plan grid. And so we were always prioritizing some small amount of revenue to stay alive. We have the benefit of raising as second-time founders, and 
we don't have to make those trade-offs. We get to make smarter decisions now, but the pressure is definitely still here. How many employees do you have right now? We're a team of 13. Is going around to VCs easier this time? I mean, I know you said you didn't do it the first time, but generally speaking, do you feel like because you guys are sort of had this earlier success that people, at least people are willing to meet? (laughs) Yeah. And everyone we have on board are are old Plangard investors. So the conversations are much quicker. Oh, that's great. Mm -hmm. That's good because that also suggests that you had great investors at Plangrid. YC led our seed round and Gary with Initialize, now YC, led our Series A. Oh, that's great. Kept it in the fam. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I like it. Speaking of family, the other thing I read in this article, because I'm interested in this because I started Y Combinator with my partner, spouse, and you and Ralph are married. You were dating when you started the company. And in this article, the reporter said, can you give advice about starting a company with your partner? And you said, don't do it. So did you say, <laughs> don't do it? Or did you say, don't do it? <laughs> how, did, how did you mean? I couldn't tell exactly how you meant. If you have the choice, because relationships are so hard, If you have the choice to not start a company with your significant other, my advice would be to not do it. Why complicate relationships and marriage that way? But with that said, Jessica and Carolyn and me, we are all examples that you can (laughs) stay in your marriage, (laughs) hopefully have a successful one, and also work together professionally. It's true. All three of us work or did work closely with our spouses. And I think that it was pretty successful or it is successful for all three of us. And you said, I I really could relate to what you said in this article. You said, Tracy, we have clearly defined roles. And I know when anyone ever asked me about working with Paul, that was it. We worked so well together. And one of the reasons was because we did have clearly defined roles and he was technical. He had done a startup and I did things that he had no interest in doing, but we would come together on the big things and that, that worked out. Yeah. We have this diagram with, of course, you know, a lot of overlap in the center, but we also have these massive spaces on the outskirt for each one of us. And there was very little overlap there. And what that meant was we could just get more work done without stepping over each other because the challenge is, is when you're fighting over whatever it is, that's stupid. Like you're fighting over pixels someone's got to make the call because you can't be stuck there fighting for weeks. You just have to make a decision and move on. And it was very easy for us to do that because of the clear delineation of responsibilities and expertise. Yeah. Well, this is a, a really small little detail, but I've never really talked about it with anyone. So I, I feel like you're starting this company with your your partner and you have kids, which of course adds whole new layers of stress and and chaos to your life. I kind of feel like if you work with your partner, they understand, you know, you just can just be this amazing team. They can understand if you have to go to that meeting and they have to take the kids or you swap. I just feel like there's this extra level of compassion that they have for the whole thing. I don't know if that makes any sense. Yeah, it's true true in our case too. We find that we can say like, this situation's really frustrating to me. And you don't have to describe why, because your spouse is like, yeah, I know. 
to me too. And like, you don't, because <laughs> they just know the parties and the situation and the context and the background. And that just makes that conversation like, mm-hmm. all right, yeah, I'm feeling the empathy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you and Ralph started this new company and you're not talking much about it at this point because you haven't officially launched. Is that right? No, we haven't launched yet. We're still in stealth, so I can't talk much about it. But what I can say is that I get the privilege to work with our team and our customers, and they come from all walks of life. They are boomers, they're Gen X, they're Gen Z, they're millennials. And it is so freaking obvious to me that this Reddit TikTok generation is not going to stand for any of the legacy enterprise solutions because it is hard to use, it is slow, it makes us less productive, and Tiger is trying to solve a piece of it. I love it. I love when something's broken, but it's embedded in the world, and people come along and disrupt that, which sounds sort of like what you're going to do. We would like, you know, I think success for us would be Tiger Eyes setting the bar for what modern enterprise software looks like. Lofty goal. I like it. And how long have you been working on it now? About a year, maybe a little less than a year. I um, have a newborn, not newborn anymore. She just turned one. So I had to take some time off. But three kids under the age of? Four, four young kids, I know. Under the age of four. You know, I woke up and I wasn't getting any younger and I wanted a big family. So I just popped them oh, out. Oh, wow. <laughs> I mean, I, that is so exciting, but gosh, hectic. I can imagine that's hectic. Mm. And the only way it works is to be able to be a mom and to be able to be a founder is I have a partner that shares 50% of the childcare and household duties with me. So it's not just about equality in the workplace, but it's also equality in the household. And I'm very lucky. My mom and dad live with me, so I get some help there. And I pay for nannies. Oh, wow. That is the cost. Oh. That is the cost of working full-time as a co-founder because there are certain events that have to happen, like drop-off and pickup from daycare and preschool that I can't be there for or my husband can't be there for. And so we hire someone to do that work. I remember, I mean, I struggled with this now. It was like, you know, 10 years ago, I was struggling with this. But I remember asking Diane Green, like, how did you, how were you such a successful founder and you had two kids, you know, young kids as you were doing this? And she said, I used to kind of outsource everything that I could at home. So I think she had a cook. She had a gardener. She had someone to come in and clean the house. I'm sure she had a nanny so that she'd be at work at work and focused on that. And when she'd come home, she'd be totally focused on our kids and spending time with kids. But everything else was kind of outsourced. And I think, yeah, there, there's just some things. You can't be three different places at one time. So you have to have the kind of infrastructure to be able to support you know, pickups and drop-offs and things like that and kids being sick. I remember that's what threw me off, having kids home sick unexpectedly, Mm -hmm. you know? I actually thought the harder part of the balance was not the physical stuff, but like that responding to birthday parties, getting the birthday gift purchased, 
And like the bake sale that someone said you had to bring something to. And like, by the way, you got to volunteer at the school library because like everyone's doing volunteer hours. That stuff to me was harder than the logistics, harder to balance because it seems like there's so much of it. There's a lot of stuff. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) When the whole class gets invited to every single birthday party. But you have your parents, Tracy, that live at your house with you. Yeah, they're probably with us, let's say 90% of the time. That is amazing. Kids are the luckiest to get a grandma and grandpa to spoil them every single day. Yeah. It's a very special relationship. I was raised by my grandmother in part, and we were very close. And it's like a wonderful, wonderful relationship that a lot of kids don't get because they don't live very close to parents. And so it's, I think it's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. And I know, I know I'm supremely lucky on this front. So did you ever take that cruise? No, no, I'm sure, you know, with COVID still out in the world and seeing what happened um, that summer of 2020, I'm not sure if I'm going to ever step foot on a cruise ever again. Right. John and I decided we're never going on a cruise ever. I mean, we've been on one and we're like, that's off the bucket list. We don't ever have to get on a cruise ship ever again. Do you have a big family vacation on your bucket list at least or somewhere that you want to take your kids? Not yet. I did tell one of them that I would take them to Disneyland at some point, and I doubt he has forgotten that. So I've got to make that trip at some point if he's tall enough. The rides, he probably would like it even if he couldn't get on. I was going to say, Magic Kingdom's the Magic Kingdom. You should just go anyway. When you're doing a um, this second startup, are you guys ever? Do you ever hit a moment where you look at each other and you're like, "Well, that will be our third startup." Like, oh no, 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 no. This is for sure my last software company. Hopefully with some luck, I get to do this for another 10, 20 years, but this is for sure the last one. And actually that has helped with some recruiting as well. It's like, if you've ever thought about working with us again, this is, this is the last one. This is it. Oh, wow. That's a great pitch. Like it's now or never for Tracy and Ralph. (laughs) Interesting. Although I always worry about saying, I always worry about saying really. I know, I know. But as you guys know, building a startup is really hard. And on some days I have woken up and I've, you know kids have COVID right now. And I don't know, there's like flooding around here and trees are down and dry. And then there's work to do. And it's just like, wait, why did I do this again? <laughs> Remind me, please. What do you do for yourself? Like for me time, even if it's a 15 minute break, what is your go-to sort of relaxation, get out of my life kind of thing technique? I pour myself a cup of tea and I listen to jazz, just, just one or two songs. And then I try to center myself in a quiet room and it's really helpful. That's very peaceful. Mm -hmm. That is peaceful. Get a breath. Simple. Yeah. And, and yeah. And simple. Mm -hmm. Do you exercise at all? I mean, I should, I (laughs) try to walk. That's my exercise right now is I try to walk, let's say a mile a day. That's the same with me. Mm-hmm. I, that's like the simplest, cheapest, and you get a lot of uh, fresh air. Yeah, got to do it every and single day, though. And it doesn't hurt your knees. Mm-hmm. And it allows you to have ideas. Yes. If, yeah. if you're not talking with someone on your walk, if you're yeah, yeah. going alone. I work out a lot of problems in my head, or at least I am able to silence my mind on the stuff that I can't take care of. Yeah, I'm the same way. Yeah. I, I relate. And do you guys have an office at this point, or are you all sort of working from home offices? This new company, Tigray, is 100% remote. And are you going to stay that way, do you think? 
we are probably going to stay that way because it's working, but it is, doesn't come free. There's a lot of things we have to do. We have to throw a lot more in-person offsites. So we get the connection and we get Mm -hmm. to break bread together and everyone has to have amazing communication skills. You might have already, you might already know this, but Zapier and GitLab are remote first, remote only YC companies, and they have all of their best practices published and publicly available. So like you can see all about how they're doing this whole remote only. I mean, you probably already know all this, but just we, in case you guys were doing remote before the pandemic yeah. before it was cool to be. Exactly. So and they have like perfected it. I'm, I'm such per- a huge fan of GitLab. In fact, we yeah. run our entire um, R&D side on GitLab. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, wow. It's, it's a really good company. Mm-hmm. I have a last question because I remember... So we, YC funded you in 2012, mm-hmm. and then in 2015, you were a speaker at one of the very early female founders conferences, mm-hmm. and you gave such a fabulous talk. I remember just being so energized after your talk and thinking, oh, Tracy just killed it out there and was so psyched. Do you remember that talk? I remember that time. Roughly. Do you remember giving it? Were you nervous back then? Oh, this is like- I'm still nervous. Every time I, I speak, I'm nervous. But you were such an inspiration. You continue to be an inspiration to women out there who might be thinking that they'd like to start a startup or maybe have just recently started one. Any specific advice for them that you want to share? Starting Tigerite is partly activism for me. Year over year, I see the funding stats, I see the news, even meeting founders and like over and over again, I remember asking myself, wait, where are all the women? Mm. And so part of it is, okay, I'm going to step up to the plate and do this. Plus there's these problems in enterprise software that I just want to see change. So, you know, the advice I would give to everyone is if you are not happy with status quo, if you're not happy with the products that you have to use, be the change that you want to see. Step up to the plate and do it. What's the worst that can happen? Hmm. If you fail, you'll learn a ton along the way and you'll be a better person afterwards. So take the risk. Because mm-hmm. it's actually not that risky in the end. You do have to be in a place where you're keeping your personal b- burn low because more likely than not, you're not going to be paying yourselves for a long time. Right. I I think that's actually excellent advice. Like as long as you have some savings to survive, you can pay the rent, you can, you know, cover your expenses. If you keep your personal burn low Mm -hmm. and you have enough expenses, even for like a year, Mm -hmm. I think, I mean, 18 months that you guys had was great, Mm -hmm. but I think even if you had enough for a year, you could accomplish a lot in a year. And there's a lot of different funding sources out there these days. Mm-hmm. Much more than there were in 2012. Yeah, for sure. Especially for people who have never liked their bosses. You just be your own. I love it. All right. We'll end there on that very positive note. Be your own boss. Thank you so much for coming. It was so fun chatting with you and catching up. And I can't wait to hear about the launch when Tiger Eye launches. And it sounds like you're doing a lot of exciting new things with it. Oh, it's so fun you too. Hope your family gets better soon. They will. Thank you. you. (laughs) All right. 
Bye. Thanks, Tracy. Bye. Thank you. That was so much fun. Oh, it's so great. Tracy. Yeah, I love great. talking to her. Yeah. She's so confident yet humble. There needs to be a word for that. I wonder what the word would be. I really like their principles too about being so deliberate and careful about who they hire. That makes so much sense to me. Well, actually, I mean, I know it sounds a little bit strange, but I really think it could be a trend like going mm. forward to be just a bit more explicit about what is important to you as founders. I mean, we always tell YC founders, oh, don't worry about getting a, a board of directors. Don't worry about that. Just focus on the product. But if you are at the point where you're starting to hire people, I think being very clear about your culture and what's mm. important to you as founders for your culture and explicitly stating that on your website and explicitly stating it in the interviews so that you are very clear yeah. from the get-go. I think that that could be a really important thing in terms of matching people up with the right company and the right employees. I think that's all right. I think though, it's actually what you said just a second ago, which is that I, the ability to pull that off does require a lot of confidence because you're going to be held accountable if you've been like public or not even public, public, but like very explicit within the company that this is how you're going to hire and this is what your principles and ethics are. And confidence is hard to come by, especially if you're a brand new founder, right? Like you're so yeah. unsure of how things are going to go and everything's new. And so like, I, I totally agree with you. It, I hope it's a trend and maybe it will be, but it does require someone with a lot of confidence to pull that off. And vigilance. Plus, I think it's hard, you know, as your company gets bigger and bigger and bigger and you're committed to not hiring assholes, you will have an asshole in there, you know? Yeah. And they probably, you, you know it, but you just, you actually do something about it. Exactly. You know what I mean? I guess my point is it's easier to do something about it if you're very explicit. Yeah, because you're probably talking about it and you're probably hyper aware of it. And I think the problem is when you have asshole creep because <laughs> you could have yeah. asshole creep. <laughs> so, and can we just discuss for one second that her kid has COVID right now? Uh, and I think uh, her parents do too. And how, uh, oh, how hard it must be like to be working on a startup with three kids under four. Yeah. It's I mean, crazy. I mean, oh my it gosh. Is, God bless. <laughs> I know. And it's such a great role model. Like, when she oh, totally. pulls this off and can say, look, I did this and I have this great family, it'll be so amazing. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Same. All right. Well, we will talk next week at our, talk next, our week. next interview. Bye. All right. Bye. Bye. Bye.